Welcome to another episode of Ministry Matters That Matter. The last few Christmases, my side of the family, we go to a retreat place called The Hiding Place, which is on the Cumberland River near Clarksville, Tennessee. That's the Cumberland River that's behind me. What I want to talk about is close, but it's not the river. What I would like to talk about in today's episode is I'd like to talk about this old train trussle. And I think there's some lessons we can learn that might apply to ministry and the work of the church. I'm actually down here by this old railroad track doing some fishing today, but as I looked at this old bridge and trussel, I couldn't help but think of a lesson that we might learn. My brother-in-law, one of my brother-in-laws, David Webb, he did some research and found that this old railway has not been used since 1920. So we enjoy coming down here and looking around and going hiking in and around the Hiding Place Retreat Center. And one of the things we enjoy is looking at the remnants of this old railroad. But I want you to think about the fact that it has not been used in a hundred plus years. I couldn't help but think how many of our congregations are just remnants of what used to be and what we used to do. How many of us as ministers are resting on the accomplishments of the past? I want you to think of congregations you know that once were very large congregations, and for various reasons, they're no longer large. Maybe it's because the community changed. Maybe there were some demographic changes that were beyond their control. But often, there were things within our control that changed. We lost our passion. We lost our relevance. You know, one of the things I find as I talk to millennials and Gen Z young people, what I keep hearing over and over is that they want the gospel to be relevant. They don't want just a bunch of information to memorize. Not that they're above memorizing things, but they want to know how the information applies to their lives. It's not just enough to, to know the answers to a Bible Bowl competition. They want to know what the answers mean, how it influences how they make decisions every day, how it influences their choices and the people they interact with and what they do and what they do not do. And I'm afraid that sometimes we stop being relevant that often we're in our sermons answering questions that today's young people and today's society is no longer asking. And so we struggle to be relevant. We struggle to change to how people learn today. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe that we need to be faithful to God's truth, and God's truth does not change. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, Continue in my words, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that does not change with the passing of time. 
but how that truth is communicated, the questions people ask related to that truth, how we connect to their lives, their learning styles and habits, those things do change. And what happens is we continue to do things the way we used to do things, and we do not adjust to how people learn today. We don't change truth, but we may need to change our approach. James Emery White, in his book, Meet Generation Z, talks about how we have gone from an Acts 2 world to an Acts 17 world. In Acts chapter 2, you had people gathered at Pentecost who were devout Jews from every nation under heaven. They believed in God, they believed He created the world, they believed the Bible was His Word, and they believed that a Messiah was coming. They just needed to know who the Messiah was and how they enter into a relationship with Him. Likewise, in Acts chapter 17, in Paul's sermon there on Mars Hill, he wasn't preaching to devout Jews from every nation under heaven. He was preaching in the idolatry capital of the world. There in Athens, there were 30,000 gods and goddesses represented and only about 10,000 people. It was the place they worshipped a plethora of gods and goddesses. And so when he's preaching there, he's not talking to people who are close to believing in the Messiah. They don't have any concept of a Messiah. They don't believe that the one true God created the world. And so when Peter is preaching, in Acts chapter 2, he had 3,000 converts. Why? Because they were almost Christians when they arrived. They just needed to know who the Messiah was and how you accept the salvation he offers by expressing your faith in repentance, confession, and baptism. In Acts chapter 17, Paul did not have a large number of converts. Why? Well, first of all, they were just further from God, further from knowing the things they need to know to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. And so, White talks about in his book, how that if you go back to the 1960s, you had a lot of folks in the United States who were much like what you had in Acts chapter 2. They believed in God. They believed in the Bible, that it was God's inspired word. They believed Jesus was his son. They just needed a little understanding cleared up for them. They needed to understand the nature of who Jesus really was and the nature of the church and the plan of salvation. And so just like in Acts chapter 2, we used to have lots of conversions but now, often our Bible studies may be with people who are starting much further away from God. 36% of those under the age of 30 fall into the category of the nuns. They have, they're either agnostics, atheists, or they have no religious affiliation at all. In fact, 29% of the total U.S. population falls into that category. So basically, one out of every three people we have a Bible study with potentially doesn't begin with a belief in God and that the Bible is His Word and that Jesus is His Son. They've got to be convinced of those things, so that means we've got to change where we start and sometimes how we conduct our Bible study. Same truth 
We just have to start at a different place. I fear that we've lost our passion for evangelism, that one of the reasons that our buildings in some places are becoming a relic of the past is that we've basically made them museums and we just invite people to come and visit instead of them being evangelism centers where we send out people to convert the world. I guess I want to challenge us as church leaders to think about, have we allowed our congregations to become relics of the past? As ministers and leaders, have we personally done so? Have we gotten to a point that we've stopped growing, that we've stopped learning, that we've stopped trying new things, that we've stopped considering what are some new and different ways that I can connect to my audience? How are audiences different today than when I started out as a preacher or a youth minister, as an elder, a Bible class leader? I just want to make sure that individually as leaders for God, and that collectively, as a congregation of God's people, we don't become a relic of the past, a relics of the past. I want, as people a hundred years from now look on our congregations, I don't want them to say, like this old bridge, well, they used to be usable. They used to take people places. They used to connect people to God. But that's just what they used to be. A hundred years from now, I want them to find that the congregation I'm a part of is growing and thriving and still connecting people to the creator of the universe. So let's not become relics of the past. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Ministry Matters That Matter. Cars going down the river.